Hailing frequencies are open. Welcome, welcome to the Infinite Potato Alliance. And if you are unaware, Disney Plus now has almost all of the Muppet Show episodes. The ones they don't have are still tied up in in music rights negotiations. We were oh. watching TV last night, and I asked my wife, "Hey, you want to watch the Muppet Show?" No, I don't want to watch the Muppet Show a little bit. And I said, that's <laughs> "Who doesn't what I, love the Muppet Show?" That's what everybody's <laughs> doing right now. She said, "I don't care. I don't want to watch it." And I said, "I want a divorce." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, she does, you now she have 10 seconds to comply She doesn't have the same fondness for uh, That's a good Michigan film her, reference there Her nostalgia as I do I, I'm suspecting it's uh, Mine isn't the only list it's on top of <laughs> I didn't it's put it on my list Just all. because I knew somebody else would So <laughs> well, Not on, on the top of But it's it's there it's really weird because, you know, we're starting, I'm starting the Muppet Show from the beginning and, you know, I can't even say if I ever saw episode one. Probably did, but I was, you know, I don't even remember when it came out, but, uh, it's just so bizarre hearing, with the exception of Kermit, who, you know, Henson pretty much, Kermit was already established by that point, but hearing the voices of the characters in their like early stages where they hadn't quite evolved into the voices we're used to yeah. yet. Miss, Miss Piggy was a big one, a uh, big well, difference, wasn't? wasn't well, she? what I've noticed is that they use the Piggy Muppet for other. It's not always Piggy when she's on the on the screen, right? When when Oz is doing Miss Piggy, she's got the Miss Piggy voice, but also you'll see the Miss Piggy Muppet like in the ballroom scenes, and there'll be a different voice, and it's just another pig, right? <laughs> yeah, they used to do that on Sesame Street because like. Uh, Elmo was on Sesame Street before he was Elmo. At one time, he was bastard. He was just a little red, little red puppet, you know. <laughs> yeah, and and we what just want uh, Elmo. I was, <laughs> oh, I hate Elmo so much. Um, I, I, I had forgotten that Sandy Duncan was. She was their second. Rita Moreno was their first guest. Yeah, and then Sandy Duncan was their second one, and I had forgotten that I had such a crush on Sandy Duncan when I was a kid. <laughs> I remember when Sandy Duncan was on the Scooby Doo. Uh, well, she was on. She and Roddy McDowell were on like everything. Yeah, back in the in the seventies and eighties. Oh, I do like about the Muppet Show is that they never had the same guest star twice. They never yeah. had anybody come back. And they, I mean, on purpose. Really? They didn't want to be like Saturday Night Live, where they have you know Alec Baldwin's been on there twenty five times, you know, or something. <laughs> well, Steve like Martin that. was the the first multiple returning guest. He, he yeah. I, I don't know if he still has the record, but I know he was at some point he he had the most. I think the, the record is is now is either Alec Baldwin or Tom Hanks now because mm. they're on. It's, Steve Martin doesn't come on there very often anymore, but they still do. <laughs> Yeah. What were you going? You were going to say something about Sharon? Oh, oh! It was just you know we were we were watching the one with Sandy Duncan, and she was she was playing some math game on her computer that she really likes now, which actually makes me very happy. Um, but she was looking over, and I was like, "Honey, do you know who that is?" And she's like, "No." I said, "You know, remember the movie The Cat from Outer Space?" Yeah, that's the <laughs> girl who was on the Cat from Outer. Oh, okay. <laughs> I remember as a kid, I had no idea who Sandy Duncan was until she took over on the Hogan family. Yeah. Um, 
Mm-hmm. When uh, I don't well, even know what that is. Okay, what, what was the girl that played? What was the girl that played on Valerie's Family? What was her name? Valerie Harper. Valerie Harper. Yeah. So Rhoda. Yeah, she did. She did. She has a sitcom in the eighties called Valerie's Family, which was, no, it, was just just a, it was just uh, huh. Oh just yeah, Valerie. it was just Valerie. So um, it was just a, a regular family sitcom. It was her, her husband, and three kids. Jason Bateman was one of her sons. Yeah. And um, she went at the end of the first season and asked for more money, and they told her no. And they said, "Well, the name of the show is Valerie. What are you going to do? Kill me?" And they did. They killed her character. <laughs> they had. I a, thought she actually died. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. No, she oh, she only geez. died a couple of years ago. I, she was sick. She she had uh, brain cancer. Yeah, but yeah. she she beat it for a long time. She only passed away like last year. Or yeah, maybe it two hasn't years been very long at all. Um, huh. But yeah, so they they had the house caught on fire and she died in the fire. And then the next nope. season, they had a big like a contest where you where are you shaking your head. That's not what I remember. Because, the house burning down. No, um, the the uh, the premiere. The season premiere, they mentioned that it had been six months since uh, the mom had died. I don't think they even specified oh, how okay. she died, just that she had been dead for six months. And I believe it was that first uh, episode of the season uh, with the new title um, that the house burned down in that episode. Oh, okay, that okay, that that makes sense too. But they had a big contest where you you could vote on what you wanted the, the name of the show to be, and uh, it's the only time I re- really remember that happening. Um, but anyway, people voted and they turned it into the Hogan family. And they mm. brought Sandy Duncan on as the dad's sister. And she came in to help raise the boys and all that kind of stuff. And then the show mm. lasted for like six years after that. So Yeah, it went for a while. Yeah. yeah. I, I found out two things about Sandy Duncan uh, fairly recently. Because Sharon was watching the, the Cat from Outer Space and... and one, I thought Sandy Duncan was dead, and she's not, which made me very happy to find out. <laughs> and two, she does not have a glass eye. That was always the big urban legend yeah. about Sandy Duncan. She <laughs> she is blind in one eye, but it's it's still her eye. It just doesn't work. Oh, jeez! All my preconceived, <laughs> you know, all, all my ideas and thoughts on that whole series just gone. <laughs> we've just we've rewritten your entire childhood. Yeah. <laughs> and I always want Triscuits when I think of her because Sharon's saying bears. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's uh, let's start this this show. So, To that super fan talk podcast, the show that continues to remind you that SpaceX and SpaceX are not the same thing. <laughs> Joining me this week on the program, we have Rick. How's it going, sir? Dead or alive, you're coming with me. <laughs> we also have Tom. How you doing, sir? Awesome. How are you? Doing great. And we have Scott. Uh, this th- this episode feels very local. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we started the series a few months ago and uh got sidetracked by several things. We had we went and did the 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 last season of Discovery, 
on the other show and all of that. So I kind of had to put it to the side for a little while, but the idea was to do a, an episode where we talk about movies and TV shows that are either set in or filmed in the states that we all come from. And we did Alabama because I'm from Alabama. We did Texas because Virginia's from Texas. We did Florida because Rick is from Florida. So I thought tonight we would do Michigan because Scott is from Michigan and so is Tom. And uh, But before we do that, we're going to play a game. You know what? I haven't even put my earbuds in. I bet I'm echoing all over the place. Let me uh, let me put my earbuds in so I can be a professional podcaster. Okay. So um, let's play a game. And the, and the name of this game is, oh, the places you'll go. The way this game works is I'm going to give you guys a place. And it may be a fictional workplace. It may be just a fictional business or something like that. And if you know what TV show... These are all... I believe these are all TV shows. Yeah. If you know what TV show that place is from, then you'll say your name. And if you get it right, you'll get a point. And we're only going to do 10 of them. I've only got 10 of them. So if there's a tie, there's a tie. That's just the way it is. So, um, okay. The first one. <clears throat> Cloud Nine. Nobody knows Cloud Nine. I mean, I've heard of it as as a a, a fra- uh, you know an a, a, an idiom or a, a, Cliche. a, a metaphor. I'll, I'll give you a hint. It, in in the show that it's from, it is the name of a store. Uh, all right. Let me let me ask you a quick question here. Are all of these from sitcoms? Uh, not all of them. I think. <laughs> Most of them? <laughs> yeah, most of them. <laughs> All right, well, uh, have fun, guys. You may surprise yourself. You may surprise yourself. Uh, that, that one's not coming to me. Okay. I'll take a guess. Friends. No, it's from Superstore. In, in, in the show Superstore, it takes place in a big box store, kind of like Walmart, but the name of the stores it are uh, their Cloud Nine is the name of the store. You just made that shit up. There is no show called Superstore. Yes, it's in the sixth season and it's actually ending next month. (laughs) (laughs) And it's a very funny show. Superstore. I've never heard of it. Go to Hulu and look it up. It's actually a really funny show. My wife's heard of it. I've never. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Here's the one that's not a sitcom. That's a hint. Seattle Mm -hmm. Grace Hospital. Scott. Scott. Is it Saving Grace? No. Rick. That's a good guess, though. Rick. ER. No. Tom, do you want to ch- try? No, that, that was that was in Chicago. Grey's Anatomy. Well, these these are not all Michigan. This this game is not based on Michigan. This is just. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. I was just let, letting Rick know that uh, ER was in yeah. was in Chicago. I think I've seen three episodes of it. Um, twenty years. Tom, ago. you were correct. It is Grey's Anatomy. Actually, <laughs> it was. Uh, like the first three seasons it was called Seattle Grace and then uh they changed the name of the hospital to something else and I don't remember what it was, but WJM. Rick. Rick. Uh that was that would be in uh the Mary Tyler Moore show. That's right. I told you you would you would know some of these. <laughs> uh Jupiter that was in Minneapolis. Jupiter Mining Corporation. Rick. Rick. Red Dwarf. Yeah. Red Dwarf. Benford Tools. Rick. Rick. Tool time. 
no, 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 that was the show, but the, 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 the actual show was, uh, Home Improvement. I'll give it to you. I, if Full John time was the show inside the show, if John Irons was doing this, he would not have given that to you. <laughs> yeah, because I stopped myself before. <laughs> tool, tool time was the show inside the show, yeah. and at the same time, it's the title that half of the viewing audience called Home Improvement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And his main sponsor and the name of the tool store that he loved to go to was Benford Tools. I used to have a Benford Tools hat that I got at Disney once, and I missed that hat. I really wish I had it. It's actually funny because uh, Tim Allen has a sitcom now called uh, Last Man Standing. Last Man Standing, and uh, the first episode of this season, what was his name on 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 uh, Home Improvement? Tim Taylor. Tim, Tim Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. So yeah. Tim Taylor came to his house to do some work. <laughs> so so Tim Allen was uh, playing both of these parts. Grace Brothers Department Store. Tom, Rick. Tom, are you being served? It is. Are you being served? That was, I, I was going to guess that. I had. Nice. I was just a wild stab. That's what I was going to say. Too. Nice. Los Pollos Hermanos. Scott. Scott. Breaking Bad. That's correct. The Chicken Brothers. You could have yep. also. You could have also said Better Call Saul. Yeah, I kind of figured, but I haven't gotten that far. <laughs> um, Cafe Nervosa. Oh. Right there, but no say. Frazier, and oh, and somewhere Chris yeah. uh, DeFilippis just threw his phone across the room. <laughs> <laughs> the Max, Scott, Scott, uh, Saved by the Bell. That is correct. And last one, Millard Fillmore High School. Rick, Rick. Buffy the Vampire Slayer? No. Um, ah, this is a stab, Scott. Scott. Uh, Freaks and Geeks. No. It's a good guess. Good guess. You don't know Tom? I don't have one. Okay. No. Head of the class. Oh, okay. You Heard guys, of it. You don't remember <laughs> Head of the Class? <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, and, uh, Rick said that he wasn't going to know anything about it, but he won the game with three. <laughs> <laughs> so. All right. It was a psychological ploy. <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to talk about <laughs> movies or TV shows that were either set in or filmed in uh, Michigan. And Scott, I'm going to let you start. All right. Um, now in going through and trying to find uh, contenders for, uh, for the list, um, there were a couple that, you know, they only make the list kind of technically, um, because there was a little bit of filming that happened here and certainly they weren't set in, uh, in Michigan, for example. Uh, I had no idea that part of Die Hard 2 was filmed here in Michigan, um, the all the scenes that took place at the airport uh, were originally going to be filmed uh, someplace. I can't remember uh, where it was. I think somewhere in Washington State was it. Yeah, Wait. I saw. I, I I read about this, and I it, it said said in, it was on a list that said set in Michigan, but then or filmed in Michigan, but then everything else that I read said that it was filmed like in uh, Washington State or something <laughs> like that. I don't know. 
Yeah, I, I think I think the air the airport scenes were going to be uh, somewhere in Washington, but I think it was like heavy rains or something. It it washed out their filming locations. They they oh. couldn't film there, so they had to they had moved find someplace else. Uh, so they they found an airport in uh, Alpena, Michigan. Uh, with I think. 12, what, 12,000 people? I, it, not a big place. Mm-hmm. They they brought in the crew to do all the filming. They took every hotel room in the city, every rental car in the city was used, uh, and they injected about a million dollars into the city's economy just in the short time that they used to film those sequences. And none of the film actually takes place anywhere near Michigan. Yeah. Uh, but that little bit, it, it helps it to... Uh, to qualify. So I'm going to start with a movie that has been, it's been on my list of movies that I should well, watch for quite a while. Which oh, I, and we go got it. Go ahead. Got to add for that uh, airport scene. They want it. They put it in Alpena because that's an airport. It deals with snow quite often. It's Northern lower peninsula. And then they didn't get any snow when they came to film. Yeah. <laughs> they have to make their own. Yeah. And, uh, I do have to before you before you go on the next one in your list. I do want to interject that Die Hard Two is one of the few sequels that is almost as good as the original. Usually, the, the one... usually the sequel like really tanks, and it's like it might be good, but it's not nearly as good as the original. But Die Hard Two is actually almost as good yeah. as the first one. Yeah, it, the, Die Hard waited until the fourth movie to start really sucking. <laughs> yeah, was, was was Die Hard Two the one with the 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 dude who was just like. It starts with him like naked doing calisthenics. Yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. it's it's William Sadler and he is naked That's and he's weird, yeah. he's doing um, uh, martial arts uh, uh, kata basically in yeah. in the hotel room. Yeah, the the main thing I remember from that movie is wanting to scream that cargo planes don't have ejection seats. <laughs> if that's the only problem you had with it, then you had, then it was <laughs> that, that was the only problem I had. Yeah. But the, the whole, right. the whole yeah. rest of it was fine. The the, the gas mm-hmm. tracking up to the plane that was cool. Yeah, the fact of course. that that, that uh, McLean, what's his first name? What's the character? John McLean. Yeah, John McLean has more hit points than any twelve. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> And it only gets worse as the series goes on. He just becomes a superhero. It's ridiculous. And, um, yeah, and, and in the fourth one, he basically throws a helicopter at somebody. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so the the actual first uh, first entry on my list. Uh, it's I have to admit it's a movie I have not seen, uh, but it's been on my list of something that I should watch. It's based on a play. Um, the film was written, directed by, and stars Jeff Daniels. Who is a Michigan native himself? Yep. The film is Escanaba in the Moonlight. Mm. Um, okay. uh, based on a play of the same name, it's uh, set in northern Michigan. Um, and the I, I, I'm not sure too much about that in the north. There you go. Um, I'm not too sure about the plot or what the movie is about. I just know that it's set in the woods of Northern Michigan. The cover of the movie has Jeff Daniels in a set of like long thermal underwear with a, um, with a nice furry hat with antlers on it and a rifle. Um, and <laughs> Jeff Daniels is a even stronger Michigan connection because like I said, he is from here. Antlers, like a, like a gun rack. <laughs> no, no, he's, he's holding it like proudly next oh, to him. Well, okay. Um, and I think the, the the original play that the movie is based on premiered at the Purple Rose Theater, 
which is Jeff Daniels um, uh, stage theater that he, he owns and runs in uh, Chelsea, Michigan, which is less than an hour and a half away from me. Also, I checked Tom less than an hour and a half away from you too. Oh, look at that. Chelsea is about directly halfway between you and me. Yeah. Yeah. It is a comedy about hunting and hunting traditions. And it, the film uses Upper Peninsula language and slang. Yeah, I've never seen this. I might have to check that out. Yes, for example, residents of the Upper Peninsula are known as youpers. Yeah, yeah, it says youper dialect here. <laughs> That's funny. Because they're in the UP. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've heard youper, but it never, I never, uh. Mm hmm. Okay. All right. Tom, you go next. Uh, before I, I start with the movie, I want to um, point out that Michigan it had a boon in, in the film industry uh, about 10, maybe 10, 12 years ago when they brought in this huge, huge in, um, film incentive plan and all kinds of tax breaks and millions of dollars to... Uh, film production companies. And, yeah, Georgia did the uh, same thing a while back. That's most of the Marvel stuff is filmed in Georgia. Yeah. If you're watching a Marvel movie and they have a downtown city area, if, even if they call it New York, you're actually looking at Atlanta. And, uh, they actually film more movies in Georgia now than they do Hollywood. They've, they've dubbed it Yollywood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that Georgia Peach logo. Yeah. Uh, is showing up everywhere. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. WandaVision. Exactly. That's yeah. what yeah. I was thinking. I haven't seen the latest episode, so everyone be quiet. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't spoil it if I wanted to, because I still don't know what the hell's going on. <laughs> I'm, I'm two episodes in. So uh, so anyway, yeah, around 2008, you know, you had the auto industries were, were really falling down. There's a lot of uh, factories and warehouse space and industrial buildings available. And uh, the government in the state decided to get this incentive program. And again, millions of dollars. They they wanted to make it the Hollywood of the Midwest. And um, it lasted, didn't last as nearly as long as they wanted to. But um, I remember seeing that, especially I live in the Detroit metro area. I'm about an hour away from Detroit, but we're like suburb of the suburbs of the suburbs. Yeah. So, you know, so we still get some of that. I worked with someone who, uh, her day job was a teacher. She's actually a senator now. And then she, her side gig was as a casting director at a casting company. Anyways, that's just the explanation as to why we had so many kind of recent. Um, the first one I want to, uh, on my list is like with Scott, I haven't seen it. Um, it was a 2011 film. It was not set in Michigan, but uh, it was filmed actually about five minutes away from my house um, in gravel pits around here. It starred Hugh Jackman and Dakota Goyo called Real Steel. Yeah, it's on my um, list. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Sorry. I debated watching that movie many times and and never found a compelling reason to do so. <laughs> Otherwise known as Rock'em Sock'em Robots? Yeah, that's... All I know is I just say it's a Hugh Jackman robot boxing movie. Um, yeah. And, um, 
I mean, I'll interject since it was on my list because it's please uh, do. It, it's got it's also got Evangeline Lilly in it, and it is kind of basically Rock'em Sock'em no, Robots. A reason. <laughs> Rock'em Sock'em Robots, the movie, but um, th- so when you when you see the trailer and when you hear the explanation of what the movie is about, you think, oh, this stupid uh, robot movie or whatever. This is not just a dumb robot movie. This, this movie has character. It has depth. It's a really good movie. Um, the characters, you actually get to know them and you, and, and, and you actually feel for them and you're rooting for them and stuff. It's, it's more than just special effects and robots fighting each other and stuff. Um, I really recommend that movie. Yeah. I have to, I had to mention it just because it was filmed right here in, in, where I live. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. We've got gravel pits all over the place and <laughs> they've, that's come up. Uh, you know, been used in in other stuff too, but so that's my first one. I'm surprised they never made a sequel to it because it it it, it didn't do it uh, <laughs> no, it it didn't do bad at the box office. I mean, it didn't do great, but it wasn't really meant to. If it, if they mm-hmm. wanted it to, it would have been Transformers. It would have been like a lot of robots <laughs> doing a lot of things. But they, I mean, there were robots in it, but they weren't. I mean, it's not like there was more robots than people. You know, and it's set in 2020. <laughs> it was made. It was made in 20 in uh, 2011, and it was. Uh, but it was supposed to be the not too distant future and 2020. But mm-hmm. it's, that's mystery science 3000. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, the. Um, they don't let people box anymore because too many people were getting brain damage from boxing each other. So they started. Wouldn't that be nice if we lived in a society that was that responsible? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they started uh, building robots that would box each other. And uh, Hugh Jackman plays this guy that he used to be a boxer, and now he's like he owes a lot of people some money and stuff. So he tries he tries to build a robot, and then he ends up finding one at a salvage yard and refurbishing it and stuff. And it's a uh, it's a pretty good movie. I, I liked it. I uh, fell asleep. <laughs> what was that? What, what was that anthology show that came out last year or the year before? Was it called Electric Dreams? And there was a there was a, a one of the shorts. It was it was like science fiction shorts. Some of them were animated. Some of them were were live. It, it, they, no, they were all, all yeah, yeah. Electric Dreams. And it was one about fighting robots, and it was it was really grim. I know what you're yeah. talking. This, I, this I re- Netflix series. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, I remember. Um, uh, was it Love, Death, and Robots? That might have been. That's it. the yeah. one. Yeah. That's yeah. The, the, they they were all animated. Some of them were yeah. were high quality uh, uh, digital animation, but it, it was an animated series. Okay. Electric it, Dreams was live action. I watched one one episode of it, but yeah, Love, Death, and Robots. That's the one. I'm Electric Dreams yeah. was the one that was based on Philip K. Dick stuff. I think. Yeah, for the most part. Yeah. Love, Death, and Robots was the one that found a way to shoehorn way more sex into it than you really thought would be showing up in an animated anthology. Love, series. Death, and Robots. Sometimes was... it made sense. Sometimes it was like, why? Yeah. <laughs> Just... Love, Death, and Robots I was watching on my phone while I was at the gym and I ended up turning it off because I was afraid. I was on the treadmill. I was afraid people behind me were looking at my phone and saying, what the hell is he watching? <laughs> got to get the heart rate up somehow. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Rick, go ahead with your first one. Okay. <coughs> Unlike my esteemed colleagues, all of my movies are movies I've seen. <laughs> <laughs> However, they all they have the advantage of I've never been within a thousand miles of Michigan. So <laughs> um the first one I would like to I mean I've got some we you know, obviously 
we've got one big one that I'm, I, I don't think any of us really need to point out. <laughs> it's pretty clear. Um, but, uh, one of my favorite movies that may be pretty obscure by now, uh, except in, in, uh, in, uh, genre or, or genre niche. Uh, and even then, probably for people of a, of an, of a, an older demographic, uh, it was based on a novel written by Richard Matheson, who was one of the great science fiction novelists of all time, in my opinion. Uh, it starred Jane Seymour and Christopher Reeve, and it's called Somewhere in Time. This is one of those movies that I've heard about forever and never actually sat down and watched yeah. it. I- yeah. The the fact that I didn't that I didn't uh, key into that one myself it it boggles my mind. I've I've been where it was filmed. I've seen the house. I've mm-hmm. stood in front of it more than once. I, now I, this, I can't believe me. <laughs> <laughs> this is a movie that is incredibly underrated. Um, it's a time travel movie. It is one of the most original time travel concepts ever made. The mm-hmm. the premise is Christopher Reeve plays a guy. He goes to this hotel in in Michigan, the Grand Hotel, mm-hmm. and he sees a painting and he falls in love with the woman in the painting. And through sheer will, he essentially hypnotizes himself into going back in time to find the woman in the painting, who is Jane Seymour. And then it's a it's a you know this very romantic tale. And it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's basically a romance, but then there's this kind of time travel pastiche over it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then in the book, and I, I, again, I can't say if this happens in the movie, in the book, he's, he's towards the end, he's standing there and he he reaches into his pocket and he pulls out, uh, you know, a 1970, whatever penny. Yep. It's that, that's, that's the movie as well. He pulls out a shiny modern penny. And it, it breaks the spell and suddenly he wakes up and he's back in, in modern times and it's like, no. And, <laughs> and then I think they meet up and she's like a, an old woman or something and, uh, you know, kind of, but it, it's a wonderfully sweet movie with a tragic, you know, you know, kind of a tragic ending. But, uh, I didn't realize because it's been ages since I, since I, since I saw it, uh, or read it that it was in Michigan. So when I'm looking through the list of movies made in Michigan, I was like, Oh, I love that movie. And the book is wonderful because Richard Matheson was amazing. He's the he, Richard Matheson. If you don't know who I'm talking about, folks, he wrote the novel, uh, I am legend. Mm-hmm. Hey, he also wrote the short story that real steel is based on. Ah, oh, and oh, oh, I can't believe I can't remember which one it was. He wrote one. He wrote a Star Trek episode. I think it was Arena. No. All right, I have to look it up now. Yeah, uh, so I've, I've forgotten it too, but I know he did an episode. Fun fact: He also wrote the first draft for Dumb and Dumber. He did not. That's not true. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> the and, enemy within. Enemy within. Oh, was it? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, back in the, in the early seasons of Star Trek, Gene Roddenberry wanted to get bona fide, uh, science fiction authors to write episodes. And then after he, he screwed so many of them over, they all went, no, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're not going to post what you're not going to make what I write. So screw you. Um, but yeah, Richard Matheson, he, he, he only passed away within the last 10 years or so. Um, 
Well, no, I, I, within the last twelve or so. But anyway, he he was he was he also wrote for the Twilight Zone and Outer Limits. He 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 was everywhere in early science yeah. fiction, television, and movies and stuff. Uh, referring back to uh, somewhere in time, with so much of that movie being filmed uh, on location at the Grand Hotel, which is on Mackinac Island uh, here in Michigan, which is um, off of the. I think it's between, I'll wait until Tom gets his uh, earbuds back in. Um, but I'm pretty sure, uh, uh, c- correct me, Tom, Mackinac Island is, it's, um, between the lower and upper peninsulas, right? It, it's not off the, the top of the UP, is it? No, it's between the two peninsulas. Okay. Um, uh, you go to Mackinac City in the lower peninsula of Michigan, you take the bridge, um, and then you have to take the ferry cross to Mackinac Island and, that island is great. I mean, people should watch the movie just to get a sense of what the island is like. There are the only motor vehicles allowed on the island are emergency vehicles. They have a fire truck, they have an ambulance, and that's it. You can't bring your car over there. If you're going to go somewhere, you walk or you take a horse-drawn carriage. It's bicycle. not tricycle. Bicycle. Oh, yeah. oh, bicycle. Yeah, you can rent bicycles as well. Yep. Um so it's not a huge island. It's It doesn't take that long to get where you need to go. Um, so there was a big uproar when uh, Vice President Mike Pence went to go visit Mackinac Island, and he insisted on bringing, on bringing a motorcade. Hmm. A lot of people were unhappy about that. But the place is it, – it's so nice. It's where you get Mackinac Island fudge. That stuff is great. It's, it's, it's manna from heaven. And hmm. the Grand Hotel itself is gorgeous. I've stayed there uh, twice – um, the rooms are amazing. The, the, the dining hall is enormous. Um, it is at least at, at the time, this was, uh, over 20 years ago, uh, that I stayed there, but at least at the time, perhaps even still the largest, um, uh, all wood constructed, uh, outdoor patio in the world. The, I, that patio is super long. They will charge you admission to go on that. Not even going in the building. And don't try to go into the lobby after 6 o'clock unless you're wearing a suit. If you don't have a jacket and a tie, they will send you back to your room. <laughs> wow. Go to your room. No, no, no joke. They stopped us and they turned us around. <laughs> Before we move on, I just want to, I want to say one addendum. And, and thank you for the, for the uh, uh, Michigan Tourist Bureau spiel. On the, on the... <laughs> um, it's a cool place. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure it is. It's, it's gorgeous in the movie. Um if all you know Christopher Reeve from is Superman, which is fine, he was a ama- yeah. you know he will always be Superman to me and to ninety percent of the world. You owe it to yourself to watch both Somewhere in Time and Death Trap because he got a little typecast as Superman, but I think his biggest problem was he was just so goddamn pretty that people didn't take him seriously. Mm-hmm. And if you watch Somewhere in Time and especially Death Trap, you will see what an amazing actor he was. He was just an incredible actor, but he was just so goddamn gorgeous that I think, you know, that plus the Superman thing kind of kept him from getting role, more roles than he should have. He should have gotten an Oscar at some point. Have you ever he seen the clip of good. him on, uh, I think it was Letterman, where he was just tearing Brando a new one? <laughs> no. I, I saw a little bit of it. Um, I, I saw a portion of that clip while I was watching um, a, a YouTube video from the the podcast um, 
the Weekly Planet. <clears throat> um, they they do a weekly series called the Caravan of Garbage, where they will discuss various movies or video games that uh, that they like or don't like. They just recently covered Superman two, and they were talking about the differences between the Donner uh, portions and the Lester portions. And they did put up that clip of Christopher Reeve just just shit talking Brando. Yeah, I mean, he was just being brutally honest. He was like Brando, you know. He he came on the set, and it was a very good opportunity for this legendary actor to be like a mentor to some of these younger actors. And he acted like he didn't even want to be there, and he uh, he didn't even know he, his he lines. Didn't, you know? He didn't care, man. Yeah. Everything I've heard about Brando, <clears throat> he was an arrogant bastard. Yeah. And Matheson died in 2013. Okay. And, uh, yeah. That wrote. was within the last 10 years, so, uh. He, he also wrote the, um, he, he wrote the, the Twilight Zone ep- episode, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. That's right. Yeah. That's right. He wrote like 16 Twilight Zone episodes, but. Okay. Uh, my first one is gonna be from 1999, Detroit Rock City. And I'm gonna <laughs> refrain from, uh, the, uh, the Alabama accent of calling it Detroit. <laughs> it's Detroit Rock City. lose your mind in Detroit Rock it's, City. It's, it's D apostrophe Detroit. Detroit. When I was uh, a teenager and I guess into my into my 20s, I was a pretty big Kiss fan. When I say I was a pretty big Kiss fan, I mean I had a few t-shirts, I had a bunch of CDs, and I had been to one, one concert. So I wasn't like a All member right. of the Kiss Army or anything like that. <laughs> Did you watch Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park? I've seen that, yes. Okay. I, you make I have seen that. <laughs> um, so I went to their original farewell tour. The first fel- farewell tour. But I think it was the, it was, <laughs> it was 99, 98-99. I think it really was the last time that the original four were together. Because I think Peter Chris and Ace Freely haven't really been with them. Not at the same time since then. They've kind of rotated out with a, a, a couple other guys. But anyway. Not well, a, Gene's been doing his best to alienate those guys yeah. for about 30 years now. So. Detroit Rock City is a road trip comedy movie about these four guys. From, they were from Cleveland. Uh, it takes place in the 70s. They were from Cleveland. They go to a big concert, in, uh, a KISS concert in Detroit. And that's basically the plot of the movie. They lose their tickets on the way there. And then when they get to Detroit, they pretty much have to all split up and go figure out how they're going to get into this concert. And then they all have like a little adventure on their own. And then, uh, Edward Furlong was in it. Uh, let's see who else was, was in he it. Was two? <laughs> and, uh, it had Edward Furlong. It had, uh, <laughs> Sam Huntington, which if you saw him, you would recognize him from a bunch of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. it also had cameos from people like Ron Jeremy. And of course, Shannon Tweed, because oh. she's Gene Simmons' <laughs> girlfriend or wife or whatever, you know. Um, and I really expected, I think if, if I had made the movie, I would have had opportunities for four cameos throughout that movie and the members of Kiss would have played cameos a la Ghostbusters 2016, you know, but they didn't do that. The only time that you see actual Kiss or, or the singers from Kiss is when they make it to the concert at the end of the movie. Spoiler. They get to the concert. And, uh, <clears throat> and then they, they walk in the concert and 
the concert is already going on. The kiss is already on the stage. And they, they make it down to the stage in like 10 seconds. Like, no, it's not that easy to get to the, to the, <laughs> to the front. But, uh, but anyway, it's not a bad movie. It's not, it's not one that I like go back to. But I think other than the night that I saw it in the theater, I saw it on TV once. I, I know that, um, when I went to the theater, it didn't have like a huge opening like you would see, uh, a packed out, sold out show or something like that. The one that I went to, I went to like the nine o'clock show and there were probably 10 people in the theater. When I was walking into the theater, there were people coming out wearing kiss makeup. I'm like, really? You got made up to go see this movie that probably had 15 or 20 people in the, in the- <laughs> Um, now the soundtrack was really good because it had some original Kiss songs on it, but also had a lot of covers. It had some people singing covers of Kiss songs and it had people singing covers of other songs from the seventies. Like it had Pantera singing uh, cat scratch fever, Everclear sang the boys are back in town, uh, stuff like that. But, um, shredder, the, the Donna's, the Donna's sang shredder, you know, a bunch of, a bunch of stuff like that, but yeah, pretty decent movie. Have you guys ever seen it? I've wanted to. Well, I, I, I've been kind of on the, I'm, I'm, I've been a Kiss fan since 1973, but my greatest anger, I only got to see them in concert once. It was the Lick It Up tour. And two weeks before they were to play South Florida, where I had tickets for it was when they went on MTV and took the makeup off. Oh, really? And so <laughs> the one time I saw them live, they didn't do kiss it was just gene simmons paul stanley ace freely and peter carr yeah uh and and it just it i mean it was still a great show and you know a kiss concert is an event you if you if you consider yourself a rock and roll fan you owe it to yourself to see kiss at least once uh because you know their music is not you know i loved it as a kid Growing up, I still like to listen to Kiss Alive, the, the Kiss Alive album, but I realize how incredibly simplistic and formulaic and totally premeditated the whole thing is. But it's still, it's still, it's, you know, I've been listening to it since I was 12, so it, it has a, it has a special place in my heart. Um, but I've never, I've never seen the movie. I've wavered. Like after I saw Fanboys, I became a little more, uh, uh, a little more kindly predisposed to movies like that. Cause you know, we had Detroit rock city. We had fanboys. We had that. What was the one with Shatner? Um, that was free, free enterprise, free enterprise. Oh, and I, I, yeah. yeah. That's not really the same um, thing. Well, but they're all kind of in the fans going to see <clears throat> real people or acts or whatever. Uh, and the movie, you know, the, the movie's based around that. Um, I think uh, I'm not surprised that that Kiss isn't in Detroit Rock City anymore because, especially Gene, is all about the Greenbacks, and I'm sure they couldn't afford to have them in the movie any more than they actually were. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you put a lot more thought into should I or should I not watch a movie than I do because <laughs> I'm just yeah, like well, uh, I guess this I'll watch is news. This, this is <laughs> I, I, I can almost see you like with a notebook like. Like, like you've got two columns, the yes or the no side. And like, what are the, what are the pluses and minuses of me watching this movie this afternoon? Here's how it went down for me. I'm at work at the video store. 
Oh, what's this new movie we got? Detroit Rock City. How was that? Looks interesting. What, Edward Furlong. Well, oh, that was a nice thought. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I mean, I'm not going to sit and say that it was a great movie. It was an entertaining movie. There is one there is one line that I uh that um I remember that uh there there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where they're actually taking off and going towards Detroit and they see this girl walking down the side of the road. And they're debating on whether or not they should pull over and, and, and pick her up. And one of the guys is like, she's walking alone on the side of the road and it's getting dark. You know, there are horror movies that start that way. And the other guy's like, yeah, but there's pornos that start that way too, man. <laughs> All right. Scott, what's your next one? Uh, okay. Now I'm assuming because of how we normally uh, operate on shows like this, I might have another, uh, two solid entries to, to present. Um, so I will um, just toss out a quick mention of a film that I've never seen. None of it. I guarantee none of us have ever seen it called frostbiter wrath of the Wendigo. <laughs> you, you're absolutely right on that one, sir. I to if I can pull that one up while you're talking. It's a trauma film. Oh, okay. That tells you ah. no. set in Northern Michigan filmed in Tecumseh, Michigan, but it's called frostbiter. Wrath of the Wendigo, so you know I'm going to have to find it and watch it. Um, but that doesn't dollar really... Store. Right, I'll be looking for it at the dollar store for, for my next podcast series. <laughs> I, I'll watch that for a dollar. Um, but the next actual entry is going to be a film starring Anthony Hopkins and Matthew Broderick and uh, Bridget Fonda, I believe. I can't remember the year that the movie was, was produced. Um, but a little film called The Road to Wellville. <laughs> I've read that book. I've seen the movie, but I've read the book. <laughs> um, uh, a movie uh, based on the life of uh, John Harvey Kellogg. And for anyone who thinks that the last name sounds familiar, yes, Kellogg brand cereals. That's that's where it came from. Um, and the, the different um, experiments and studies and wacky wild things that John Harvey Kellogg would do at the Battle Creek Sanitarium. And I checked on Google Maps. It's 30 miles away from where I'm sitting right now. Is it still there? Uh, no, at this point, it's a memorial marker. Oh, okay. So the sanitarium itself doesn't actually stand there anymore, but it did. <clears throat> and back then he would do a whole lot of experiments trying to come up with, you know, how can people be as healthy as possible here? I'll make some cereal. And now we get a whole bunch of, you know, unhealthy for you, sugar packed, uh, food product. So my, how the times have changed. The thing is that they, 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 they make Anthony Hopkins, um, play Kellogg as this, uh, eccentric character with all these weird ideas. And then when you, uh, when you read, uh, do some research, he really did believe a lot of that stuff. Eat this cornflakes. It'll make you not want to masturbate. <laughs> well, yeah. it, if I remember right, Kellogg's idea was to make the blandest food possible because just no interest of anything at all. Yeah. Yeah. At one point in the movie, I think he's describing his bowel movements. My bowel movements are huge. <laughs> Well, it, because it's <laughs> it, exciting flavors will excite the passions within a person. And then that leads them to hedonism. I, I, I'm making that up, but I'm, it probably hues fairly closely to what was actually going on in his head. Yeah. That's a good movie. It was a pretty, it was a pretty decent book from what I remember. It's been a couple of decades since I read it, but 
And it, it was it was uh, well within that time period of Anthony Hopkins really throwing himself into whatever role he was playing, even if it was you know a huge departure from uh, his previous work or from who he was as, as a person. Um, it, an almost unrecognizable Anthony Hopkins in that role. This is before things like uh, you know his turn in uh, uh, Julie Taymor's Titus caused him to quit acting. Because that shoot was so uh, so fraught and so frustrating, um, which is a shame because Titus is an amazing film. John Harvey Kellogg looks a lot like Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> I'm just pulling up a picture of him. Yeah, I, I, I've, <laughs> I've, I've I've seen that. Uh, Anthony Hopkins' uh, uh, wardrobe and the makeup in, in the film it it's really pretty good. He did live to be 91, so maybe there was something to the whole cornflake thing. I don't know. <laughs> I prefer Frosted Flakes with sliced bananas myself, but anyway. Um, Tom, what about you? What's your next one? Okay. Uh, I'm going to go with a whole series where uh, several of the movies in the series were uh, filmed in and around uh, this area in Michigan, and that's the Transformers series, the Michael Bay films. Um I'm not sure which ones were and which ones were not filmed here, but uh, you had a lot of stuff in downtown Detroit. Uh, The very first uh, Transformers movie was filmed around Michigan Central Station. It's a really incredible building to drive up towards. You can see it as you're going around on, on the expressway. Usually, like, it looked like all the windows were blown out and just huge. I suggest <laughs> trying to find a picture of it. A lot of stuff in downtown, downtown Detroit. Uh, they did have some some other scenes. Again, there was some gravel pit stuff around here. Uh, my wife actually reminded me that uh, the school district that for the town we live in, she works for the district. And at the time, she was in central office, and she remembered going and dealing with the contract where the production company rented a parking lot in one of the school buildings for like three or four weeks in the summer, paid an obscene amount to rent that. And that was like one of their staging areas, kind of out of the way, but also right by one of the gravel pits. And in August we have, they call it the Woodward dream cruise, this multi-mile stretch of road and just old cars going back and forth on it for supposed to be a weekend and it goes days and days and it's not my not my thing at all but um a lot of the autobots were were in the dream cruise uh at least that one year you could see them going back and forth there (laughs) yeah um so yeah you you could spot bumblebee and optimus prime uh, a few times around here so uh one other site though And again, I can't remember which one of the films it was, but I I do remember in the teaser, they even showed it. Um, There was a a section filmed in a a stadium, and this was the Pontiac Silverdome. The Silverdome was home to the Detroit Lions for years, and when they moved down actually into Detroit from uh, the Silverdome's in Pontiac, it's 45 minutes, hour away um, but when they actually moved into Detroit, the Silver Dome was left empty. And this is one of those dome. I mean, it had a fiberglass uh, fabric roof held up by air pressure. It was one of the first stadiums to do that. And 
just the level of decay that ended up happening to this place. The the whole roof just ripped apart. It was open, exposed to the elements, and there were quite a few shots in Transformers of this just beat up old stadium. They didn't have to do a lot of CGI to make it yeah. look like that. <laughs> but the site of the Silver Dome is now going to be an Amazon distribution center. So. Yeah, they filmed uh, they filmed all the Transformers movies in uh, Detroit, except for Bumblebee. Okay, uh, which, in my opinion, Bumblebee's the best one. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, all four of the the first four um, Transformers: Age of Age of Extinction, Dark of the Moon, and The Last Night were all filmed in Detroit. At least so principal photography. Yeah. So. so Revenge of the Fallen wasn't. How many Transformers I I, movies were there? Too many. Uh, uh, there were, uh, were there five? Okay. There's five or six. Okay. Well, the, the at second least, one was at least three movies long. I guess. <laughs> I guess that one, uh, Revenge of the Fallen. Yeah, that one was not. At least it's not on this list. But and and, and like I said, Bumblebee was not. Um, yeah. But yeah, four. I didn't even watch anything past the first one. Bumblebee. The, 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 I, I mean, if, if you're a, if you're a fan of like old school Transformers from back in the '80s, Bumblebee is good. I mean, pr- mostly because Michael Bay didn't direct it; <laughs> he actually let somebody else take over. Well, that's a plus. And uh, <laughs> and it turned out like there's actually a there's actually a pretty big battle scene that takes place on uh, the Transformers homeworld, like before they came to Earth and everything. And it, I mean, yeah. when that scene comes on, you're like, man, I'm. I'm in the 80s right now. <laughs> this is the movie that I wanted. <laughs> okay. I, I don't remember what comedian said it, but uh, you know, I, I saw the first two Transformers movies. Um, I, I was not a Transformers kid. It was Transformers came out when I was in just starting college. I didn't have time to watch uh, cartoons. Wow, you're old. Yeah, I'm ancient. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but my wife was big into Transformers. So when Transformers came out, I was like, giant robots fighting? Why not? Um, and so we saw the first one, and I actually enjoyed it. Uh, and then the second one came out, and I literally fell asleep during it. <laughs> but uh, I, I I can't remember... Some comedian described the films, and he said, throw a bunch of matchboxes into a garbage disposal and turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it it can just turn into a bunch of uh, a bunch of noise, but and you can't see anything. That's what really bugs me about those. I'm mean, not to get too far off track here. Just you can't see like the robots. It's yeah. just this visual mess. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's it's essentially uh, liquid metal just kind of roiling over each other on the screen. There's there's no definition. You can't see faces. You can't see body parts. Right. They don't look like robots. They just look like a bunch of jagged metal pieces that are moving autonomously. That's why I think a lot of people, you know, closer to our age who grew up with the, with the cartoon, who know what they looked like. Then you see Michael Bay try to recreate it on screen. It's like, that doesn't look like what we came here to see. That doesn't look like the Transformers. Right. Yeah. Not going to disagree with you. It was, I think o- a lot of it produced. I think a lot of it plays a little bit better when you watch it on TV. But when you're watching it in the theater, it, it, it can just, you, it just feels like you're getting lost in it sometimes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Rick, what's your next one? Okay. My next one, 
uh, again, I'm doing some deep cuts here, uh, is a movie my wife and I saw back in 2013 and absolutely loved. It stars Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston. Uh, it's called Only Lovers Left Alive, and it's one of the best vampire films I've seen in at least the last 20 years. Uh, it was, all right, hang on, let me tell you the, the Michigan connection is that Hiddleston's architecturally splendid Queen Anne on Alfred, Alfred Street is known as the Donaldson Whitney House, a three-story red brick structure it was designed by Mason and Rice and built in 1879. So all of, all of that stuff was filmed in, uh, in the Brush Park neighborhood. Um, I like I like a good moody vampire story. You know, I I loved Anne Rice's books, almost all of them, uh, right up until the the most recent Lestat one, which sadly didn't, it, it kind of went off the rails. But I've read all of her vampire novels, and I love that uh, you know gothic vampire pastiche. Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston are two of the most gorgeous people on earth in my opinion and seeing them as a couple that has been or that has lived for so long that they're just so absolutely bored with everything <laughs> it's in, it's it's an incredible movie and it's it's not just you know hiddleston's place is in michigan and, and swinton is all over the world and it's just it's such a wonderful exploration of what immortality would be like if you've lived through the most harrowing uh, difficult periods in history and then you get to the late 20th, early 21st centuries and you're just like oh, I'm so over all of this <laughs> <laughs> and it's just it's just a wonderful and, and I'm, I'm really not doing it justice it's a brilliant film uh, and I cannot recommend it enough and when I was looking through the list of movies shot in Michigan and this came up, I could not have been more happy to talk about this one. I'll check that out. I've never even heard of this movie. It's it's fantastic. Anton Yelton, yeah. John Yeah, oh yeah, that's right. He's in it too. Okay. Alright. My next one is also from nineteen ninety nine. American Pie. I did not actually Which go, one? The first one. The first one. <laughs> I it did not on actually <laughs> go to the theater to see this movie. I went I used at this point in time in nineteen ninety nine, I used to go to the movies a lot. And I went to the movies by myself one afternoon because I just didn't have anything else to do. And um I went to go see something else. I don't remember what it was, but it didn't start for like another hour. So I was just like, well, I'm just going to sneak in one of these other movies and sit and watch it for an hour until my movie starts. And And I did that. And then it was American Pie. And I ended up watching the whole thing, which I didn't steal anything. I bought a ticket. I just watched a different movie than the ticket that I bought. Um, So this movie owes a lot to films like Porky's and things like that, but there's probably 300 films that have been made in the last 22 years after this that spawned from this one. You know, uh, it's, it's really, it's a really good movie. It's a really funny movie. There's so many characters that come from this, uh, so many comedic moments 
that I've probably referenced a lot. The term MILF comes comes from this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. any reference to like Stifler's mom, you know, that kind of stuff. That Stifler's all mom. comes from, <laughs> yeah, it all comes from this movie. Um, let me tell you, being a band director, when <laughs> that came out, yeah. not fun. <laughs> and then this one time, I, I used band to, camp? <laughs> we, we used to have band camps at my theater in the summer and I could never hear the words band camp without snickering. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Here's, a, I now have the opportunity. Uh oh. I can finally <laughs> ask. Were they right? Well, I... Mom and Dad I, aren't listening, Tom. Go ahead. Give us the truth. Certainly not in my experience. <laughs> no, not when the band director's around, that's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, this Now, when the, when the movie came out, were you guys Buffy fans? Yeah, I, uh, no. yeah, I watched Buffy at the time, so, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, I was a huge Buffy fan and, you know, Willow was my favorite character. And so when <laughs> when that moment came, I was just blown away. <laughs> this was also my introduction to Eugene Levy because I had never watched any of those. Uh, what are those mockumentary films that he makes with? Um, he, oh, he's part of the, the Christopher Guest, Michael McKean, yeah, uh, Spinal yeah. Tap, Gone, or, or Mighty uh, Wind, The Mighty Wind, yeah, he, he, Show. He he wasn't but, around for Spinal Tap, but I, I think he started with Waiting for Guffman, and then there was Best in Show yeah. and uh, um, Mighty Wind. Yeah, and but since then, he got I've seen his all start that stuff, on but... TV. He got his start in TV on a little show called SCTV, Second City Television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going way back. That's where we got characters like Bob and Doug McKenzie and mm-hmm. Count yep. Floyd. Yeah. And um I think Ed Grimley started there too, didn't he? Ed Grimley. Yeah. Yeah. I was able to port that character over to Saturday Night Live, but uh, yeah. uh it started on SCTV. He had a Saturday morning cartoon of that character. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um if MC Hammer can get a cartoon show, anyone can get a cartoon show. Okay. Well in the eighties they he, were giving out cartoon you may not shows know. like they were like they were candy. So <laughs> Speaking of Canadian comedians, uh, you know, Eugene Levy and, and, uh, um, um, oh God, Anne Grimley, what, it was just, it was, it was, Martin, Martin Short, Short, Martin Short, Martin Short, and, uh, Dave Thomas and, and, uh, Rick Moranis, so they were all Canadian. Um, back in the very early days of cable, dating myself here, and in the early days of, of Comedy Central, back, I may even have been, there was the Comedy Channel, and there was Comedy Central, and they eventually merged and just stayed Comedy Central. Um, there was a show coming out of Canada called Almost Live. And it was kind of a, a Saturday Night Live-ish show. And one of the guys on that show was someone you may have heard of called Bill Nye. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where he got his the start. Science? And one of my favorite oh, characters my. he used to do was a superhero called Speedwalker. <laughs> <laughs> so there used to be a, there used to be a uh, late night talk show that Greg Kinnear hosted. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, not the, not the Daily Show. I think he was hosting something before that. Um, he was never on the Daily Show. Was he not on the Daily Show? Okay, well I'm no, getting no, Craig, things. Craig Kilborn was the Daily Craig Show. Kilborn was the Daily Show. Greg Kinnear used to host the Soup. Or talk soup. That's talk, what I was yeah. thinking of. He had a he, yeah. Well, he had a talk show, and he started making movies, and that's why he ended up leaving. Um, but around the time that he was getting ready to leave, every so often he would have a guest host come on and and just do his show for him. And then sometimes 
they would just say, tonight we're going to show an episode of SCTV. And that's the, uh, that's how I, that's, that's how I originally watched that show. But anyway, uh, Eugene Levy, he had in his contract that he could pretty much, uh, do whatever he wanted with his lines. You know, if he wanted to improvise, he could improvise and because he read the script and he didn't really like his character in the script, but he agreed to do the movie anyway. And, uh, when the movie came out, when the finished product, about 90% of his lines were improvised. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, because in a movie like that, if there's one person you're going to let improvise around the script, it's going to be him. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause who else you got? Mina Suvari? <laughs> Tara Reed? Chris Klein? That movie has had, uh, <clears throat> So they made three sequels to that movie, mm-hmm. but then they did a whole bunch of spinoffs. Oh, all direct to video stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I, you got, uh, American Pie 2, American Wedding, uh, Wedding and then American Reunion. Mm-hmm. But then, yes, they started doing a bunch of spinoffs, most of them, uh, featuring Eugene Levy. Uh, like for, I think one of them was, uh, American Pie's The Naked Mile. Yeah. I think it was one of them. Yeah. They were essentially trying to turn themselves into a new national lampoon, like yeah. a new comedy brand with the American Pie, uh, label over the top. They would try to have one, one or two characters from the, uh, main movies that would be like the, the character that would cross over. So it was usually Eugene Levy. A couple of times it was Stifler's little brother. That was in uh, American Pie 2. And then as he got older, he was in a few of these movies and stuff. Um, I don't even know if it was played by the same actor, but it was that character. Uh, I guarantee no one cared. But <laughs> there may have been some second unit establishing shots actually filmed in Michigan. But all the principal photography was filmed in Southern California. But the movie takes place yeah. in Michigan. so Yeah, and, and the city it takes place in is fake. Oh, really? Now East I know Great Falls, Michigan does not exist. I know American Pie Two. They filmed some of it in Michigan because it's about going on summer vacation to Lake Michigan, and I think yeah. they filmed it, at least the beach scenes. I think they filmed at Lake Michigan because um, there's a big difference between the beach at Lake Michigan and like the beach at an ocean somewhere. So mm-hmm. it's uh so there you go. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you're on the beach at Lake Michigan, you know, you usually can't see across. So, yeah, <laughs> you, you hear that ocean comparison quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my wife has been to Chicago, and she said seeing the seeing the Great Lakes like on TV or something is completely different than seeing it in real life. I don't know. I've never been that far north. <laughs> well, I have. I went to New York, but I've never been. To like the Midwest, you know. Okay. Uh, so, sometimes I find it hard to consider it worth the trip because, uh, yeah, the Great Lakes are nice, but even in the middle of the summer, that water is cold as hell. Oh, yeah. It's <laughs> some cold water. All right, Scott, what's the next one on your list? Uh, next up, I'm I'm going to act as though this is the, the last entry that I'll get to present. Um, so I will... Uh, I'll end with one that really set the tone for a lot of uh, a lot of the goth kids of my generation. It was th- this this was a clarion call to them uh, when this movie came out. Um, 
I want to say it was 1994, but don't quote me on that. Um, uh, co-starring Ernie Hudson, Michael Wincott, uh, and uh, featuring the final film performance of the uh, gone too soon, late, great Brandon <sighs> Lee. Oh. It is the first installment of this series, and of course, obviously the best, The Crow. Yep. Other shows would have like some music or a trailer uh, portion <laughs> uh, drop in here. I should have had some prepared. Sorry, guys. Um, th- this movie is really good. It's a good movie. I don't know why it's they keep. Post. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like they did with the movie. Ha <laughs> But I'm just. Um, I don't know why there is still talk of trying to remake this film. It's not necessary. You don't have to remake it. This one's fine. Just go back and watch the original. Are it's any, still good. are any remakes necessary? <laughs> but <laughs> I digress. Is any movie necessary? <laughs> I, I, I should have warned you that, was, that would be coming. <laughs> Touche. Um, Sean and I have I, had this conversation numerous times. <laughs> I, I, I remember always enjoying this film. It's, it's always a fun watch. Um, it's, it's highly quotable. Uh, it's very dark. It's very atmospheric. Um, uh, the action is great. Um, and owing uh, mostly to the fact that uh, when Brandon Lee was in a film, he would often uh, handle most of the fight choreography. Now, not to say that this is a martial arts film by any stretch, certainly not, but anything that uh, was even close to hand-to-hand combat, Brandon Lee was always heavily involved in it. Um, and the direct... I, if anyone has the, I don't have the information up for, for the movie in front of me, but if anyone else has it up, um, you check me on this. I think the director was Alex Proyas. Yes. Um, and I'm pretty sure that he has, uh, gone on to now. It, if you, if you have it up, if you can click on Alex Proyas, double check me. I think he directed, um, uh, gods of Egypt. So yes. gods of Egypt. Yeah. Knowing <laughs> I robot. And Dark City, yeah, Dark Dark City, fine. That that's I, I robot not, wasn't bad either. Yeah, t- tonally, Dark City uh, is kind of close, and it's a pretty good one. Uh, I Robot, I think I fell asleep during that one as well, but that's not necessarily you know anything against him. Uh, Gods of Egypt, yikes! Stay away, don't watch it. That's a bad movie, yeah. um, and it doesn't really reflect his abilities when he had less money to work with, when he had fewer resources that he was still putting out good product like with the crow and uh, Michael Wincott as the, in the film, he's an unnamed villain. They never actually give his name, but he's the, the overall uh, antagonist that uh, he has the, the final battle with at the end of the movie. Um, If you watch the (laughs) television series based on the, on the movie, or if you read the original comic book, you know that character's name is Top Dollar. But in the film, they, they never even say his name. He, he's just oh, he's the long-haired bad guy, also known as um, uh, Guy of Gisborne from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> but he does a fantastic job as the villain in this movie. He's, he's just, just so menacing. Why a spoon? <laughs> Why a spoon, cousin? There was a thing got- in the, like we were talking in a few minutes ago, in the 80s, they made a Saturday morning cartoon out of everything that came out. Um, in the 90s, any movie that had 
any kind of success at the box office got turned into a syndicated television series. And it kind of started with Highlander, I think. And, uh, but from there, it's like every big, like Robocop had a series. The Crow had mm-hmm. a series. Uh, Ram, Ram, Rambo had a, had a cartoon series. Robocop yeah, also had a cartoon. cartoon. <laughs> Robocop got a cartoon. It sure did. With an Two action, of them. With a, a action figure line and everything for an R rated mm-hmm. film. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Okay. So everyone, if you haven't seen The Crow, everyone go watch it. Also co-starring Tony Todd. I mean, what more do you need? Go watch the movie. If, if you haven't seen The Crow, what the hell are you doing listening to this show? Get to the, <laughs> get to Netflix or Amazon or whatever the hell it's on because everybody that is a sci-fi fan, fantasy fan, comic fan, whatever, super fan needs to have seen The Crow. Mm. And if, if whatever streaming service you're using, has the other three crow movies on there? Uh, no, they don't ignore them. The, no, thir- the third one has Edward <laughs> Furlong in it. Mention. To go back to that. <laughs> <laughs> one thing I you rest didn't my about case. The crow, that, yeah. Yes, Rick. That aside from being a great movie, it was a great movie against incredible odds because Brendan Lee was killed in a freak accident on set, not even halfway through filming. Right. And so they had to, it was the first movie where we, where they used CG effects. Uh, sorry, I got something in my eye. Um, I know it's sad that we lost him so early. I know it's okay. Let yeah. it out. Um, it, you know, it, it was a, uh, it, it's, it's a story I use frequently in my stagecraft classes where we start talking about prop weapons. Yes. Because thank what you, happened was, you. uh, somebody mixed up. I think the legend was that he was murdered. I know this is not what happened. He was murdered because it's somebody no. somebody wanted him to die, so they put a real gun in place of the prop gun, or they put a real bullet in the no. gun or something like that. I know that's not what they, happened. They were using they were using prop guns that were able to fire actual live rounds, and it had a live round in it for some reason. And uh, but the point the the thing is, it doesn't. I, I'm I'm actually I'm not entirely certain that's exactly what happened. Because uh, in movies, frequently they want to use guns that will have a muzzle flash. And so what that means is you have to use a blank round that the gun has a bore, has, has a, an actual bored barrel. And so when you fire a blank, a blank is still a, it's, it's a cartridge, just like a bullet. You've got the brass cartridge, you've got the primer, the powder, and then you've got a wad of paper. And then... Instead of a bullet, there's just nothing past that wad of paper. But when you fire it, it comes shooting out at supersonic speeds and you get that flash because the paper ignites. But at short range, those things are as lethal as a bullet. And that's what happens. Somebody, they were playing around with, it it wasn't even during the scene. They were playing around with the gun. And I've heard Lee put it up to his head goofing around and I've heard someone shot it at him. I'm not entirely yeah. certain what the exact... I'll, re- was, I'll read to you what it, it says was, here it on Wikipedia. A... They, it says that what happened... Yeah, I've done quite a bit of reading too. I, I, okay. I They they had time the constraints and, and okay, so instead of purchasing commercial dummy cartridges, the film's prop crew, hampered by time constraints, created their own by pulling the bullets from live rounds, dumping the powder oh, charge... For... Stay. And then reinserting the bullets. However, they unknowingly left a live primer in place at the rear of the cartridge. At some point during filming, 
the revolver was apparently discharged with one of these improperly deactivated cartridges in the chamber, setting off the primer with enough force to drive the bullet partway into the barrel where it became stuck, a condition known as a squib load. The prop crew either failed to notice or uh, failed to recognize the significance of this issue. And then later they had a blank bullet and when they fired it, that that bullet that was lodged came unlodged, and it shot him. Oh, for Christ's sake! So I'm sorry. That is okay. My job, folks, is to prevent stuff like that from happening in a in a play. That's that's ninety percent of my job is keeping people safe in a in a situation like that. And anytime weapons are used, that is exactly the kind of thing that is inexcusable. Yeah, uh, and I really hope that somebody not only lost their job, but maybe even went to jail for that because that's unconscionable. Yeah, I was looking. It doesn't say that anything happened to anybody. I'm, I'm not sure. I, there, there's always been so many different uh, elements of that story going round and round. Um, I've heard that you know, the, the prop master had gone home for the day, so other members of the prop crew who ought not have been handling those particular items at all uh, were packing them away, picked up the prop gun, they pulled the trigger, which just to because the hammer had been pulled back so they just gave it a dry fire which didn't even ignite anything but it happened to knock the wad into the barrel so the next day no one knowing that it had been handled improperly the night before they prepped it they loaded it up they go for the take uh the actor michael massey who played uh fun boy had the pistol he pointed it at uh, brandon lee pulled the trigger which was supposed to be just a, a muzzle flash but it sent that wad out um, uh, into Brandon Lee, and no one even really realized that something was wrong until several moments later. Um, and then by then they had taken to the hospital, but it was it was too late. And uh, if I remember correctly, Michael Massey took quite a quite a bit of time off from acting after after the production, because even though he knew he wasn't responsible, he was the one that pulled the trigger and he didn't handle it well. He eventually got back into the industry, but it took a while. Yeah, they had most of his scenes had been filmed, so they were able to salvage together, salvage the movie anyway. Mm-hmm. So. With uh, body doubles and um, uh, using CG to uh, graft images of Brandon Lee's face over a silhouette body of someone else. Yeah, which um, I mean, if you wonder why we, they were using footage, that, I mean, it's like when you're making a movie. A lot of money gets spent on a movie, and there's a lot of people that get paid, and if the movie doesn't come out, then they lose a lot of that money. So the the movie had to come out in some form. They weren't going to just scrap the entire movie. That's why we had th- that movie Wagons East with John Candy. He he died. He wasn't, he wasn't even anywhere near done filming his scenes, and they still salvaged the movie and put it out. It was awful. Because they actually, there's a scene, I don't know why I got off on this movie, but uh, there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where John Candy is sitting at a bar drinking whiskey. Later in the movie, they reversed that shot <laughs> and had him sitting at a bar drinking whiskey just on the other side of the screen. <laughs> and to, for, for one last statement to bring it back to The Crow, I should probably specify, um, hey, The Crow takes place in Detroit. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's the Michigan connection it takes place in Detroit. And um, anyone who doesn't live in Michigan who watches that movie, um, I'm pretty sure that that's not actually what Detroit is like, because if you watch that movie, essentially it says, hey, everyone, Detroit is literally hell. 
don't come here ever, especially not on <laughs> Halloween, because every year, the night before Halloween, the whole place burns to the ground and they have to rebuild Detroit by Christmas time. And then when next <laughs> Halloween comes around, it gets burned down again. I, I got to say, my favorite scene in the whole movie uh, is when he's walking down that big, long board table with all the gangsters in the room and they're all just shooting the shit out of him. And he's like, <laughs> it's a good shot he has a lot of great moments in that movie and if if anyone thought that he was you know just some uh action star just some martial arts guy trying to ride his father's coattails no he was better than people gave him credit for it it, yeah The, the crow is one of my wife's favorite movies and it's one of the one of the movies that we both wholeheartedly agree on it, it's mm-hmm. a great, it's a great movie, and and you know, the, despite the tragedy, it's just, it's a wonderful film. Yeah. All right, Tom, what's what's uh, what's your next one? Well, first, I got to issue a correction on myself. The uh, the story about the parking lot contract and renting that that was for uh, Batman Superman. Oh, uh, <laughs> not not Transformers. Um, however. I think that is such an awful movie. I'm not going to make that my next entry. <laughs> Your That's mommy's on my, got the if we this far. Oh. <laughs> Your mommy's got the same name as my mommy. Uh, that name? <laughs> just can't stand it. Anyways, um, I'm going to do a callback to a previous uh, Super Fan Talk episode I was on where we were talking about um, non-actors in in films and i mentioned the detroit police inspector gil hill who played axel foley's boss uh inspector todd in the beverly hills cop series so while most of the action in those in all three of those movies is takes place in beverly hills they do have the framing stuff in um place in detroit they did do some filming in there um obviously they've got the you know, Gil Hill in there and, you know, there's, they really put Detroit on Hollywood's map when that first one came out in, uh, 84. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, just like I said, it's a lot of framing. They did do some of the filming in there, but it's, uh, for it being said in Beverly Hills Cop, they, they really, you know, are showing the difference in bringing Detroit in, in that way. So, yeah, yeah. And it's not on fire, so even better. <laughs> it's not on fire, no. Um, although, you know, that uh, that chase scene in the first one when they're uh, doing the, chasing the semi uh, full, of, uh, cigarettes. full of cigarettes. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, that, that was done in Detroit. And the, uh, the opening shots, it, it's kind of like the opening of Beverly Hill, sorry, um, Blues Brothers, showing all the... Um, the sites around oh, all the Chicago landmarks. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And wasn't some of that Gary, Indiana too, or uh, I, I think maybe, I think so. But yeah. So just like that, Beverly Hills cop had all those establishing shots and showing, showing the area around there. Mm-hmm. So yeah. What, you know, when I think of Beverly Hills cop, that is the, the scene where Eddie Murphy stuntman is hanging off the back of the, the semi hanging on the back of that, <laughs> Curtain yeah. and swinging around. That mm. that's the first scene that comes to mind. If if you want to talk about um, Eddie Murphy's stuntman, then you go forward to the scene at the at the country club in Beverly Hills where he throws um, uh, Breaking Bad's um, uh, Mike Ehrmantraut 
played by um, Jonathan Banks. Yeah. Where he throws Jonathan Banks over the banquet table. And there's, especially if you can uh, watch a, a more HD, like a like a 1080p um, up res of the original Beverly Hills Cop. <laughs> and you see Eddie Murphy grab him by both arms and start to turn. Then the camera angle shifts. And imagine Richard Pryor spent eight months doing nothing but hitting the gym. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Yeah. That's who it looks like is throwing uh, uh, Jonathan Banks' stunt guy over the table. Just big, bushy mustache, a lot more hair than Eddie Murphy has, and <laughs> and easily twice his size. Just just hucking that guy over the table. It's hilarious. It's almost it's almost like a some comedies like a Leslie Nielsen movies kind of come to mind when they uh they'll show the stunt double but they'll make it obvious that it's a stunt double so it'll almost be like a there's a woman and then her stunt double is some man with a wig on or something like that. yeah well it's like if if you watch uh star trek the original series on oh, blu-rays yeah and it's like ow <laughs> those guys don't even look anything like shatner oh, anymore yeah Kirk and Khan's fight was oh, a really terrible. bad one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that, that's a grand example. Or in yeah. Mirror Mirror, where yes, Nimoy's stunt double is literally painted green, and you're like, "What the hell?" <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Rick. spaceballs, spaceballs for the stunt doubles, though. Well, yep. yeah, 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 yeah. They, they, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I, I presume this is our, our last time through. Mm, probably. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna throw out really quickly because it's it's the elephant in the room. I don't really think we need to talk about it uh because it's a classic, but you know, Robocop obviously. Uh you know has got the got the Ed two oh nine on his train. I've I've got the quote there. Um, you know, Robocop takes place in Detroit and I think a lot of it was shot in, in, in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, you know, if you haven't seen RoboCop again, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I guarantee you that both Tom and I were far too young to see this movie when we saw this movie. Probably. Well, you know, the <laughs> thing about, it just came out in 2014. What are you talking about? You, 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 you hush your mouth. Get out. <laughs> You'd be ashamed of yourself. Blasphemer. No. Um, it, I was the, 11. The funny, the, the funny thing I want to I want to say about RoboCop just really quickly when it came out, uh, my my then girlfriend and I uh, at the time were like, because you know the posters came out, and it was like, oh, uh, that looks so stupid. And then um, there was a show called what, I don't remember what it was called. It was it was Siskel and Ebert's TV show that they had. I think it was called At the Movies. At the movies. Yeah, at, at the movies. I think something like yeah. And you know, Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert were. You know, uh, they were nationally famous movie critics and they were also well known for not being fans of genre films. And my girlfriend and I were watching at the movies and Robocop came up and they both gave it a thumbs up. And we were like, what? Because we had discounted the film as just being, you know, schlock. And so we went and saw it and it is a justifiable classic, not necessarily because of the action parts of it, which are kind of mainstream, you know, there's, there's, there's a, you know, uh, you know, lots of gore. There's some, there's some nudity, you know, that part of the film is not necessarily 
remarkable. But there's this satirical through line in the mm-hmm. commercials yep. that you see <clears throat> that took that movie and just pushed it up into genius. Because what we got in what was what did you say? Twenty fourteen was the remake. Uh, it yes, was yeah. that was just the Robocop part and it was meh. I saw it, it was fine, but it was not remarkable. Right. It was the commercials in the original Robocop movie that made it genius, that took it from just being a you know, a classic B grade action science fiction action film and moved it up into a in, into being a classic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's why I firmly uh, believe, and no one will convince me otherwise, that RoboCop and Starship Troopers are in a shared universe. I was thinking that because Paul, I, Ver, Paul Verhoeven put his uh, his take on the commercials in universe on on both those films. Yeah, I need to rewatch <clears throat> Starship. I only saw it the one time, and I was pissed that it didn't really bear any resemblance to the book. Not uh, at all. Well, well, yeah. I, Paul Verhoeven read half of the book, and then he stopped and said, "I, I don't like it. It's depressing. This no, no, I, I, no, I don't like it." <laughs> well, the and, thing that pissed me off is I wanted to see the goddamn power armor, and <laughs> no, I, ex- exactly. <laughs> that would have been great. Now, here's the thing: if you want to endure the sequel to Starship Troopers and then get to the third Starship Troopers, then you'll see power armor. Mm-hmm. They introduce power armor in the third movie. Mm-hmm. It's anyway. not good. It's not it's worth it. Not good. <laughs> RoboCop anyway, is, RoboCop is another movie that had, it had more sequels than you think it did. No, because, I know how many. And, I mean, I it saw had, RoboCop. It had, it had three. Like it. I mean, there was two. The two sequels, but then they had a trilogy of movies that they made for the Sci-Fi Channel later on, like mm-hmm. in like in the last fifteen years or so. Yeah. yeah. Okay, four of there them. Were, there were four of them. It was called RoboCop Prime Directives. Yeah. And, and they're bad. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, they're they're not good. But it takes you on a journey. The first movie starts, and RoboCop has been on the streets and in service for over a decade. It's getting to the point where they no longer make the parts that they use to construct him, so they can't get replacements when he gets damaged. Mm-hmm. He's getting old, busted, and and having a hard time keeping himself together. And then he they, he finally gets a uh, a solid refit, and uh, his. His former partner, which was didn't show up in any of the original movies, but they just invent this former partner that he had, uh, who's now like some working for some security consultation agency or something. Then he ends up getting turned into an evil RoboCop. So now it's RoboCop versus RoboCop. And when they decide to have a gunfight, I swear they they add an extra five minutes of just aimless firing of automatic weapons that serves no purpose whatsoever. It's just a bunch of guns going off for no reason at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is put you to sleep action through and through. <laughs> and they do this for four movies worth. Yeah. Yeah. It went on. And I was watching, I was listening to a podcast that did like a retrospective of all the RoboCop movies. And so I watched those movies as they were, Reviewing them, and yeah, they're rough. And they did a TV series. If it was a retrospective series, that sounds like now playing. Is that what it was? It was now playing. Yeah, yeah. Um, they did okay. So they did a TV series of RoboCop. They did a cartoon, but they did it. But they did an actual uh, like live action syndicated (laughs) TV series. That if you watch RoboCop three, the TV series is a lot like RoboCop three. It's kind of along those lines. Cheap. 
Yeah, cheap. <laughs> but anyway. No cursing, no blood. This was no just blood. supposed to be a throwout. <laughs> but the movie I really wanted to mention uh, was every now and then, it, it, not so much now that you can't just go to Blockbuster and rent a movie. Um, in, in the early years of my, my marriage to my wife, we uh, she would just every now and then just come home with, hey, I picked this up. It looks like fun. Let's watch it. Um, and that's how I saw uh, Kinky Boots. And oh, what was the one with Helen Mirren and, and the and the, the 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 women doing the calendar? Calendar like girls. Somebody, calendar girls, yeah. which was a you know Kinky Boots, Calendar Girls were were you know wonderful movies. And then and, and she brought home, or maybe I did. I don't. It doesn't matter. Um, a movie called Whip It, which starred. Uh, Elliot Page, who at the time was still Ellen Page. Yep, that's right. Um, and it's about a young girl and her friend who get into the world of roller <laughs> derby. Oh, is that the mm-hmm. one that Drew Barrymore directed or something like that? Yes, it yeah, is. Okay. And it is a wonderful movie. It's, you know, it's not grim. It's, you know, there, there, there's some drama to it, but for me to say I enjoyed a movie about just regular people doing normal things, this movie is sweet and wonderful and heartwarming. And I, I have a lot of former students slash friends who are into roller, who, well, before COVID, uh, were getting into roller derby. And so that movie allowed me to kind of relate to what they were doing. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know about you guys. To me, roller derby was kind of right up there with with pro wrestling in that it was something that was on TV on Saturday mornings and Saturday afternoons that was not in any way interesting to me, but it was too early to go outside and my parents were still <laughs> asleep. <laughs> and we didn't have video games when I was a kid. God damn you are! Um, <laughs> um you know, so roller derby was just not anything that ever appeared on my radar as something that would be interesting. It was just people roller skating in a circle. Um, but this movie is beautiful and I love Elliot Page. I love their work. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I can't remember if I've seen Juno all the way through. I know I've seen most of it. Um, but they were also in, in, uh, Inception, right? Yes, yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, I've never seen them do anything I didn't like. And Whip It is just such a wonderful movie. There's great characters in it. There's a, it's a wonderful story. I cannot recommend it highly enough. And the Michigan connection is that, um, let me see. It was filmed. Oh, is the movie was filmed in Michigan, Mi- Michigan, Michigan, thanks to tax breaks, uh, in Detroit, Ypsilanti, Ferndale, Hamtramck. <laughs> Hamtramck. Yep. Hamtramck, okay. Uh, Saline <laughs> and Birch Run. And also, by the way, just to throw this out there, Ypsilanti is where Mystery Science 3, see it, Mystery Science Theater 3000 was made. Okay. Really? And, and just uh, to help you out a little bit, it, it's, it's, it, it's, not, it's pronounced like an I. It's Ypsilanti. Ypsilanti? Oh, yep. excuse me. And just to throw I'll, out I'll, there, I'll give uh, you a list of some Florida locations, and we'll we'll, we'll have a pronunciation <laughs> on. And give you some Alabama locations that they're all Indian words. <laughs> um, 
We we got a couple of those as well. I mean, we've got. <laughs> I, I believe we might have mentioned Tallapoosa, Tuskegee. I believe we might have mentioned Pontiac. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, Whip It is a great, wonderful, leaves you feeling, leaves you with a smile on your face movie. All right. My last one is going to be uh, from 1959, Anatomy Ooh. of a Murder. Starring Jimmy Stewart, Lee Remick, and George C. Scott. Mm. I'm I'm kind of a sucker for crime movies and courtroom dramas and stuff. And this is one of the best courtroom slash mystery stories that I've seen. It's centered around a rape case, which is really controversial for 1959. Although, Killer Mockingbird was... Yeah, but when you watch an old black and white movie and then they start throwing out words like rape and they start throwing out words like panties and things like that and you're like this is kind of different for him this is not in like an episode of andy griffith or something like that you know <laughs> um but this is one this is a movie that kind of drags you in because i actually had it on in the background while I, while I was doing something else and and then that something else didn't get done because i just ended up sitting there and watching this movie it's filmed at a lot of locations all up and down the upper peninsula of uh michigan and I mean that's pretty much it. It's it's just a, it's just a really good solid movie that uh, that I enjoy going back to every uh, few years or so and watching. It's one of, I don't know if it's one of Jimmy Stewart's last movies. It was fifty nine. He looked kind of old in the movie, so I don't really I don't rem- really remember how far how long Jimmy Stewart stuck around making movies. It's through the sixties, right? At least I mean he was born in the. Th- 30s, I think. Google to the rescue. Because he he didn't Consult die. the Oracle. He didn't die until like the mid 90s or something like that. Jimmy died in 97. Yeah. Oh, he was done. Yeah, he was. Oh wow, he was born in 1908. Wow. Well, his last movie was in 1978. So I guess I'm. I guess he was around for about 20 years after this movie. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, but he was. I mean, I don't know. He's he was starting to look a little old in this movie. So it's not like the the young guy from. Uh, it's a wonderful life <laughs> that I remember, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I recommend it. Lee Lee Remick, uh, she was a good, a good actress. She's in another one of my favorite movies, favorite classic movies, which was the the detective with Frank Sinatra, um, the prequel to Die Hard. Kind of, yeah, sort of. <laughs> There's a whole story that goes with that, but um, uh, but yeah, so check that out. All right, anybody want to throw out an honorable mention before we? Close up shop. Yes. Go ahead. Set in set in Detroit, and there is more to Michigan than Detroit, despite what it may sound like. Uh, set in Detroit, not filmed anywhere there. Uh, trying to see which one. Season three, episode eleven of Star Trek Enterprise, called Carpenter Street, where <laughs> Captain Archer and T'Pol go to twenty first century Detroit. Hmm. That looked nothing like it. <laughs> <laughs> With guest star Jeffrey Dean Morgan as yes. one of the uh, Zindi Reptilians. Yep. Oh, really? My honorable mention would be Eight Mile because uh, I'm not an Eminem fan. That's why it's not actually on my list. I'm not an Eminem fan. I listened to his mainstream stuff that came on the radio, but I never bought an Eminem album or mm. anything. Uh, but this movie, I actually. I was at somebody's house and they were like, let's watch this movie. Okay. And they put it on and I was like, this is a pretty good movie. And it's not because of Eminem. 
a.k.a. Marshall Mathers, because he's not a good actor. But there's enough good actors in it that kind of prop it up. You know, Kim, Kim Basinger ba- slash Bassinger, whatever. <laughs> She's in it. Uh, Brittany Murphy was in it. Um, McKee Pfeiffer, if I pronounce his name correctly. Mackay. Mackay. Mackay Pfeiffer. He's in it. Uh, and, you know, they're all really good. So, But the, the story is good. It's kind of based on Marshall's... Or it's kind of his origin story, how he came to be Eminem, you know, and um, so couldn't care less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that, that's exactly what I'm saying. I, I couldn't care less about Eminem, but this movie is really good, despite mm-hmm. the fact that he's in it, <laughs> you know. Which I do. I mean, I do like some of his music, and the rap songs that are in the movie are pretty good, you know. So academy award winning yeah i mean he's he's a talented guy whether you like him or not as far as like those uh these uh rap uh battles that they have in the movie i mean i know that's all scripted because it's a movie but uh they do these things in real life and these guys come up with some of that stuff off the top of their head and, and put it in a song and make it sound like it's supposed to be there you know yeah, it's one of the great examples of you. You may not uh, enjoy the end result, but you have to respect the the creation of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the creativity, oh, yeah. the creativity, and and the talent demands respect, even if you don't necessarily like the genre. Um, I I've seen the movie once, and yeah, that's and, all I, and that was enough. But it was still impressive. All right, that's going to pretty much do it for this episode. Tom, thank you very much for joining us tonight. Always a pleasure, sir. Try to stay warm. <laughs> Rick, thank you for being here. Thank you. My pleasure as always. And Scott, thank you for being here as well. The final honorable mention that I just now remembered, Tom and I talked about this, is a movie called Kalamazoo. With a which is mark? the city, which is, yes, with a question mark, which is the city I live in, the city that, that Tom and I were, uh, were born in, uh, starring, um, Mayim Bialik and some other people that I've never heard of. Oh, wait, and, um, and whoever played the mom in E.T. D. Um, Wallace Stone. D. Wallace, yeah. That, that's right. D. Wallace. Um, uh, she's pretty. The casting director was, um, uh, uh, Cecily, I can't remember her last name, but I know that she played Ishka on Deep Space Nine. Um, I think one of the later, uh, appearances of Ishka. Um, and she ended up she ended up serving as a casting director for the film, which means I'm pretty sure that without realizing it, I met Quark's mother because I auditioned for that movie. Ah. Spoilers, uh-huh. I did not get in. <laughs> um, I have never seen the film. And as some of you may know, I have my ways of obtaining films uh, to add to my library. Cannot find this movie. Hmm. Can't find it on Amazon. Can't find it on eBay. Can't find it on any streaming services. It's gone. <laughs> but it takes place in and was filmed in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I got a girl in. <laughs> it's a good song. <laughs> and that'll pretty much do it for this episode. If you, if you want, you can find a lot of other stuff that we do over at infinitepotato.com where we have new episodes of Starbase 66. We have just posted the first one of the of the new era this morning. 
<laughs> we have uh, that Star Trek podcast, which is a podcast that we do that's all about Star Trek. Um, we also have the Prime Directive, which is Scott's uh, Star Trek podcast, and lots I of filmed stuff. Go ahead. I recorded my final episode this afternoon. Oh, okay. Thank you for joining us for that Super <laughs> Fan Talk podcast. Be sure to join us again next time when you might hear us say, "Come back, John. We miss you." <laughs> <laughs> Aww.